Poor naked wretches, wheresoever you are. Had my sweet Harry had but half their The quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. You're listening to Hold That Thought from Arts and Sciences at Washington University in St. Louis. Hey there, listeners. Thanks for tuning in to Hold That Thought. I'm Rebecca King, and today, as we continue our summer with the Bard, we're looking at some of his Italian influences with our guest. I'm Rob Henke. I'm uh, a professor of drama and comparative literature. I've been at Washington University uh, for 24 years. Professor Henke is the author of several books, including Pastoral Transformations, Italian Tragicomedy and Shakespeare's Late Plays, Performance and Literature in the Commedia dell'arte, and Poverty and Charity in Early Modern Theater and Performance, which is due out this summer from the University of Iowa Press. Professor Henke says that Italian theater has clear fingerprints in Shakespeare's work. Early modern theater was really an international phenomenon. Uh, Shakespeare at the Stratford Grammar School, he was steeped in Roman classics. And you probably know that 10 or 11 of his plays are set in Italy. Italy was the vanguard of culture, and it was prestigious not only in lyric poetry. And now Italian Renaissance theater is not as famous as, as Italian epic and other forms of Italian literature, but Italian theater was considered just as important as its other genres. It was tremendously influential. There were writers like Machiavelli himself wrote plays, Ariosto. The English were heavily influenced by the Italian plays. And then there was the Commedia dell'arte, which is the professional theater in Italy. And they're a traveling, an itinerant form of theater. And they traveled to all points of the compass. They traveled to Germany, to France, to England, to Spain, even to, to Poland, to the Czech lands. The Commedia dell'arte took this kind of scripted Italian drama and took it on the road. And they figured out a brilliant system of, of improvisation that, that allowed them to perform different versions of the same or similar plays. And while Shakespeare is clearly aware of and influenced by these Italian authors, he also knew and even studied the famous Commedia dell'arte, says Professor Henke. There's a speech in his As You Like It, where a character named Jaquees talks about the seven ages of man, and about four of them are based on a Commedia dell'arte types. The lean and slippered pantaloon is the next to last, the old man character in the Commedia dell'arte. Henke says that Shakespeare was also influenced by the structure of Italian theater including the form of the tragicomedy. I earlier wrote a book on the form of tragicomedy and Shakespeare's late plays, Cymbeline, The Winter's Tale, and The Tempest. Tragicomedy was a new genre that was kind of uh, formalized and codified in Italy. There were both kind of courtly and erudite versions of it, and there were also popular Commedia dell'arte versions of it. And the whole idea of it is you, you kind of move from tragedy to comedy in a pastoral arena, use the, the countryside and the idea of pastoral and the, the figure of the shepherd to sort of as a hinge from darkness and death and destruction and all the things we associate with tragedy to a felicitous turn. 
When looking at specific Shakespearean plays, Hanke can identify several important Italian influences, including in one of Shakespeare's most popular works, Romeo and Juliet. He says that few people have considered the Italian sources before in this work, because it's absolutely certain that Shakespeare's main source for the play was a 1562 English poem titled The Tragical History of Romeus and Juliet by a man named Arthur Brooke. However, Brooke, he said, was translating and adapting from a French translation of an Italian novella. And Hanke is convinced Shakespeare was also looking at the Italian versions as well. I believe that Shakespeare knew the Italians as well. I, I believe that Shakespeare was actually in the course of learning Italian you know, throughout the 1590s. You know, we all remember in Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, Romeo, after he's been to the ball, he comes to Juliet's garden and he approaches her, her balcony, but he stops and he listens to her speak. It's when she gives the famous, you know, what's in a name speech. And Romeo is listening all that time, and Juliet is not aware that he's there. It's only after about 20 lines or so that he declares himself, and she's shocked. He calls him this rude intruder and so forth. Well, not in Brook, this English source for Shakespeare. They see each other right away, and they start speaking. It's in Luigi Grotto's novella version that we have this theme of Romeo listening to Giulietta, well before he shows himself. But there are differences, too. For one thing, the Italian version is much more political. There's a real important kind of political and civic dimension, Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, but it's a little bit attenuated. If you go back to the Italian sources, they're more political. It's set in the time of Bartolomeo della Scala, the Prince of Verona, from 1301 to 1304, and he was famously the person who was uh, hospitable to the exiled Dante. Uh, in fact, the first time the Montagues and the Capulets, the uh, Montecchi and the Capuletti, are put together is by Dante, actually, in the Purgatorio. They're actually from different towns, but Dante kind of lumps them together as examples of feuding families. So for Dante, he's talking about factionalism and the need for a strong leader to control of factionalism. And the prince in Grotto and Bandello is stronger than the, than the one in Shakespeare. And, and there's a persistent kind of public and civic dimension to it. Juliet gets the idea that she's not quite sure whether to pursue this Romeo guy, but one thing that kind of swings it in his favor is she thinks, well, and she's probably just rationalizing when she's in love with him, she's going to do it anyways. But she says, well, Maybe this will help you know, bring our families together. Maybe this can play a kind of civic role. And the friar is a really fascinating figure in the Italians. He's, he's a, a great experimenter. He's a philosopher. He's traveled all over Europe. And he's very much trying to use this relationship to heal. He's trying to play the role of the peacemaker. Though Romeo and Juliet is, of course, a famous tragedy... Professor Henke says that it was very influenced by the Italian tragicomedy. Its sad ending turns on a single moment. In fact, some scholars have even wondered whether Romeo and Juliet was itself once a tragicomedy that was later revised to a tragic end. Certainly, theater companies in the day performed different versions of the story with happy and sad endings. 
you, you take any moment in Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet and the tale can turn different ways. In fact, there's even a Commedia dell'arte version of that's the Romeo and Juliet story where it actually turns out happily. Because, you know, it's so close to succeeding. All, all that has to happen is Romeo, you know, the letter has to get to Romeo from the friar telling him what's going on. And if the letter gets there just a little bit sooner, it's, it's a serious play, but it's, it's a tragic comedy. It ends happily. The Taming of the Shrew is another play with a clear Italian source, says Henke. Though notably, its source is an Italian play, not a novella. There are a lot of Shakespeare plays that have Italian novellas as their source, Othello and Cymbeline and, and others. But the subplot of Taming the Shrew is based on a very famous play by Ariosto, written in 1508, called I Suppositi, which was translated by a man about a generation older than Shakespeare named George Gascoigne in 1566 and performed. It was, it was called The Supposes and performed in one of the inns of court in London. And it's a great translation. It's a great play. I mean, the sort of joke is it's the first great English comedy, except it's sort of Italian. It's, it's fantastic. But this is the subplot of The Taming of the Shrew, the, the plot that revolves around Bianca, the sort of good daughter, or, you know, more docile anyways. So you've got an Italian play as a really significant source. It also turns out that the first appearance of the word pantaloon in the English language is in Taming of the Shrew. One of the old characters is one of these rivals for Bianca is called Pantaloon, and he's old, he's practically dead, he's rich, he's got all this wealth and so forth, but he, he almost you know has to have a pacemaker. That's an explicit reference to the Commedia dell'arte. And there are, there are other Commedia figures, and the whole structure of Taming the Shrew, it's based on kind of a set of old men, and then a set of lovers, and then a set of servants, kind of tripartite hierarchical structure is really the deep structure of the Commedia dell'arte. I don't think all of Shakespeare's comedies were influenced by the Commedia I think it was actually something he was really interested in the early 1590s when Taming the Shrew and others comedies were written. And he's maybe less interested in it in the mature comedies like Twelfth Night and Much Ado, which are, are later, uh, towards the turn of the century. The Taming of the Shrew is also set in Padua, the home of a prestigious Italian university where Englishmen famously went to study. Though Shakespeare never attended, Professor Henke does think that the bard was learning Italian. There are bits of evidence scattered throughout his plays. I think the way Shakespeare learned Italian was through this figure, John Florio's language learning manuals, because John Florio was Italian Protestant, refugee from Catholic Italy who came to Protestant England, and he tutored uh, many important people in England, and he wrote language learning manuals that were little dramatic dialogues, facing page, Italian on one side, English on the other side, and little quotes from Florio show up in several of Shakespeare's plays, including, and this is the fourth intertext in Taming the Shrew. So I'm, what I'm trying to do is look at all of these together. And I don't think Shakespeare really distinguished between the improvised version of Italian theater and the scripted version. I think he kind of thought of it all as Italian comedy, and, and Taming of the Shrew perfectly shows this. Many thanks to Robert Henke, professor of drama and comparative literature at Washington University in St. Louis, 
And thanks to you too for tuning in to Hold That Thought. If you're interested in reading more of Henke's work, check out his latest book, Poverty and Charity in Early Modern Theater and Performance from the University of Iowa Press. You can find Hold That Thought and all of our archived episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. Subscribe to stay up to date on all our latest podcasts.